Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about Winnipeg season in review because, in all likelihood, the Jets are probably not going to be playing hockey anytime soon this year, if even this calendar year. You know, if there's an extended regular season finish in late August or September, maybe that occurs. The the NHL might also try some sort of weird playoff schedule, but at this point, everything's still up in the air. So let's just consider the uh, the fact that the regular season is probably over for the rest of the season. There's honestly quite a bit to talk about with the Jets because, quite frankly, Winnipeg had something of a very up-and-down season. Uh, A strong record kind of masks, well, I say strong, but strong by my expectations for what this team could accomplish. I think that their record very much masked just how bad this team was. Now, for as bad as things could have been at times, the Jets did have a few saving graces, and we'll start with the saving graces that appeared on the Winnipeg Jets forward unit. The first thing to note is that the top line, which often rotated guys like Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Nikolai Ehlers, Patrick Laine, there were so many different combinations, and I'm not sure that all of them actually worked out as well as Paul Maurice would have liked. Kyle Connor, for his part, I feel had a very mediocre season, despite the fact that he put up, I think, what, 40-some goals? Actually, 38, just too shy this year. I I think that Connor's... Well, his central deficiency remains his defensive play, and I feel like in the offensive zone, Connor still has issues really setting up his line mates and making the best use of his his, uh, offensive opportunities. I think Connor's biggest issue is that while he possesses all of the physical tool sets and skills to make him one of the best one-on-one matchup skaters in the NHL, actually making the most of his line mates remains one of his biggest flaws. There will be times where he'll have an odd man situation, and I'm looking at him to make a pass or set up one of his teammates, and instead he takes a shot that ends up going wide or isn't really the highest danger chance and opportunity that he could have out of it. If he just looks to his right or something, there's probably someone like Patrick Liney or Mark Scheifele in an open space where he could easily feed the puck and probably get a nice empty net goal for his uh, teammate. Too often, though, I think Connor just didn't really make use of that, and sometimes it actually looked like he was overthinking things if he was trying to make a pass later on. There were a few opportunities where instead of shooting, he decided to pass, and I feel like those decisions often bit him in the butt because they weren't really the times when you would pass. Those were the opportunities that he just needed to use his release and try it from where he was. His defensive play is also still something of an issue, and I feel like that didn't really improve. I mean, you know, he's one of Winnipeg's worst defensive impact skaters, and he's one of the worst in the NHL, period. That Paul Maurice kept using him on the PK, I think, only highlights the fact that he really doesn't do a whole lot of defensive reading in the defensive zone, and he's not really geared towards making interceptions, uh, marking his man, using any sort of physical player positioning, especially in corners and whatnot. His mind just isn't built to handle defensive duties, and it's clear that when he's being used in those roles where he's asked to, to really shell up and try and break out from some sort of offensive pressure against, I feel like Connor's not really equipped to do that. Despite his speed and stick handling, he's not someone who actually excels at transitioning offense out of the defensive zone like you might think. He can carry the puck through zones, and he's got some really nice tricks and stuff where he can jump defenders, but in terms of actually 
breaking out of the DZ and progressing things through the neutral zone into the offensive zone, he's not really somebody that I would rely on for those efforts because he doesn't really set it up from the defensive zone. I think that for his contract, he did do more or less what you expect him to, and that's score a lot of goals and earn a lot of points, but I don't know if I really like his overall impact on this team. He's very gifted and talented, and he definitely showcases it when he pots, you know, 35, 40 goals a season, if not more next year. But it's it's also hard to say whether or not his value is being partially mitigated by his defensive impact. The Jets really need to do a better job of masking him with a defensive or or at least two-way transitional center, somebody like, well, Miko Koivu would probably be the guy that I would pair him with. A bonafide shutdown C who also has great passing and distribution and can set Kyle Connor up for great opportunities. That's the kind of second line or first line center that Kyle Connor would, I think, thrive with. Speaking of centers, I feel like we should probably talk about Mark Shifley because Shifley's season was okay. I think that he did a lot of good things offensively, but defensively, there were definitely holes in his game. And sometimes, I don't know, he's kind of an odd player for me to analyze because I I look at the underlying numbers and there are definitely signs of his game not being as good as it used to be a couple of seasons ago. But here's kind of one thing where visual feedback tells you a lot. And I just look at his body language and something about Shifley feels off. I don't think he's happy, and I think there have been a lot of rumors about the fact that Mark is not 100% thrilled with the way things are run. And, like, I don't want to put the guy on blast because I I don't want to question his work ethic, but there were times where it felt like he took shifts off throughout the season and just didn't give it his all. There were times where I feel like Mark Shifley, a couple of seasons ago when the Jets were doing well, would give every last measure, sometimes putting himself at great physical risk. And this, the past couple of seasons, including this year, I just haven't felt that same drive or desire. When he gives an interview, he just has this very vacant, distant look, and there's not a lot of warmth or or sense of strength coming from him, which is kind of weird. Shifley is somebody who I would expect to be this team's natural heir to the captaincy, and yet he just doesn't really seem as attached as you would think he would be. In fact, he occasionally comes off as a little bit cold, which is, again, not something that I would associate with Shifley. It's weird because I, I feel like he did have a pretty productive season. He was around a point per game, give or take, even with the uh, the dry stretch of a, like 15 or so games where he just really couldn't get anything going. Shifley still had a productive season by his standards. But again, I don't know. I, I watch him and something feels off about him. I don't know if he's going to be happier next season or how he'll process all of the changes that are likely to come in the off season, but... I'd really like to see more from him. I, I feel like he has another gear that we've yet to to rediscover ever since a couple of years ago where he basically dominated the league and was one of the best centers in the NHL. If he ever gets back to that, and I'm not saying that he has to, I mean, he's, he's being paid a contract that's definitely under market and the Jets are getting more than what they're asking for out of him. So, you know, what they have right now with him is, is sufficient, but if he could elevate his game back to where he was a couple of seasons ago and just really drive play like at top line center the Jets would be in much better straights going forward the forward I was most impressed with and the one who showcased the most dynamic growth I would say has been Patrick Line and I've talked about him at length throughout this entire season but Line seriously I would say was Winnipeg's most improved skater and it wasn't even close Line has always been somebody who possesses a ton of different physical traits and skills, but marrying them all together at NHL speed and at this level of hockey has been a little bit hit or miss. Most people knew that he was an incredibly gifted sniper with great stick handling, great deception, and a massive frame. 
for a long time, it was also true that defensively he was something of a train wreck, and he really didn't do well with board battles, puck possession, uh, really being pressured and harried along the blue line, just not things that Line was capable of handling all that well. Last year was probably his lowest point where he really struggled, but the thing with him was, for as many people who rightly criticized his on-ice performance, you could see him technique-wise trying to employ more things to become something more like a power forward. There were definitely signs that he was adjusting his game and trying to become a more versatile player, probably because Maurice was asking him to. He was often tasked with becoming his own entry specialist. He was the one trying to build up play and form breakouts. And yes, in a lot of ways, he failed at almost all of those things because, to be honest, he wasn't on a line that really suited his skill sets, and he just wasn't good at these things. It took a lot of time. I mean, he was very raw at some of those things when he came into the NHL. In his first couple of seasons, those skill sets did not really improve. Last year was the first season where I felt like he actually tried to change his game. We knew that he had exceptional vision and some really great passing, but marrying those things into a package where he was also driving play as a power forward at wing with a lethal shot, really, we didn't see enough of. This season, though, was a very different story for Line, and it's one of the first seasons where, for the most part, his scoring was driven more by his passing and vision than it was by his shot. Part of that was from his own personal improvement, which included better edge work, better decision-making, ultimately better defensive awareness, better positioning, better build-up play, better and, and more... I guess, well-rounded offensive attacking and two-way transition. I just would say that everything in Line A's game improved all around, and I think it had a noticeable impact. But the other reason that his goal scoring went down was because of the fact that the Jets' power play was kind of bad, and the team just really wasn't making the best use of his skill sets. I think that within the confines of what he was asked to do, Line A really excelled. I don't think it should be held against him that, you know, for the first time, he really didn't have quite as many goals as he did in previous seasons. Really, the rest of Line's game was so good that he was basically a point-per-game player anyways, and he was ultimately one of Winnipeg's best all-around forwards. I hope that when he gets his next contract extension, it's for a very long time, because I think what the Jets have in him, and what his continued improvement is showing, is somebody who I've always believed would be special, and he continues to put me in a better position to be right. I think Line has the potential to be a franchise forward for this team, and he's already shown tremendous growth in a couple of seasons, I don't really know what his ceiling is because I think that he still has room to improve. I think he can get even better than what he is right now. And if he does get better, I think the NHL needs to be put on alert because, you know, his goal scoring this year was a bit depressed. And I think that once things are back to normal for this team, Line is going to be racking up 40 and 50 goals again. The other Jets forward who, of course, stands out in a positive light is going to be Nikolai Ehlers. And Ehlers is arguably Winnipeg's best overall forward this season. I think Ehlers has always been something of an underrated skater. He creates so much offense, but his point totals have always been relatively modest considering what people might think he could put up, really, especially with the shots and skills that he possesses. I'd argue that at various points of the season, Ehlers was the only one keeping this team afloat because, to be quite honest, when the Jets were shelling up defensively and not really pushing much offense in the other direction, Ehlers was one of the only guys who could create much of anything from a standstill. Nikolai is probably, I don't know, he might be Winnipeg's MVP, you know, as far as forwards and defensemen are concerned. I don't think anyone else did as much to generate as much offense and transition gameplay as much and really play a versatile role at all situations. Ehlers can be an effective 5v5 forward. He's skilled on the power play. 
He can arguably play on the PK, though he hasn't been asked to do it very often. I mean, Ehlers can do it all, and I think that he possesses skill sets and abilities that far exceed most of what Winnipeg has to offer. As far as Blake Wheeler's season is concerned, he's kind of one of the other guys who sort of rhymes with Ehlers, but had a season that is perhaps less glamorous. Now, I will say that for Blake's standards, I think that he actually did pretty okay. He was asked to do a couple of difficult things, and one of them was playing as a 2C for most of the season. Compared to where he was last year, I actually felt like this season was pretty solid for Blake. He wasn't really putting up monster numbers, but his underlying metrics and his shot and scoring chance creation, as well as his defensive value, were actually much better than he was last season, because last year he was a net negative in almost every respect. This year, Blake looked a lot more comfortable playing as both a center and just in his current role. I still don't think that he's 100% worth his contract. In fact, I have a lot of questions about the sheer dollar value and the cap hit that he's providing, but, you know, he is the captain and the Jets already signed the deal, so there's not a whole lot that you can do. He still looks slow to my eye, but I think once he was back on the top line with Shifley towards the end of the season, he looked a lot more like his old self. He hasn't been doing as much net front driving or those power inside cuts that he used to be known for, but you know what? It is what it is. I think that we have to get used to this being Wheeler's new normal. I think he's been doing it for a couple of seasons now, and unfortunately things don't seem to be getting better. At least for the time being, if he can be at least above break-even, I think that that's probably the best hope we have. He still possesses a great shot, and he's got great passing and vision. I'm just not sure about the rest of the package long-term, because he's definitely on the wrong side of 30, and as you age, of course, the aging curve tends to be pretty harsh to you. He's got a few years left in the tank, but I don't know how much of this contract is really going to seem all that great. I was worried about it when they signed it, and I don't think that that concern has really gone away. There's kind of a lot to unpack there, and I think it's going to take a couple of years before we get a real sense of whether or not Blake's past few years have been an aberration, or if this is just who he is now. While Wheeler's performance may be disappointing to many, I do think that the one thing that isn't disappointing is advertising with Locked On Podcast Network. If you've been a long-time listener of this podcast, you've no doubt heard about all of the great advertisers currently working with Locked On to reach sports fans around the world. What you may not know, though, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach Jets fans on a routine basis. Our podcast listeners are special because they're hardcore fans, and they aren't just any podcast listeners. If your company wants to connect with Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then feel free to drop us a line at Locked On Podcast Network. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. For more information, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and drop us a line. Our team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Closing us out tonight, I guess we'll talk about Winnipeg's defense, which, to be quite honest, the analysis on this is going to be pretty pretty stark, I would say. Um, Winnipeg's defense was something of a disaster. I think that Winnipeg's best defenders were actually forwards, and that includes Andrew Kopp, Mason Appleton, Adam Lowry, and a few others. Winnipeg's actual defense was notably less than ideal, and I think it really starts with Josh Morrissey taking a notable step back. Morrissey has never really been asked to be a lead number one. I thought that he would actually be capable of handling it this season, but now I have some concerns about whether or not that's really accurate. I think that Morrissey struggled a lot, and he also had dealt with what looked like a couple of injuries. He just didn't seem like his timing was right, his reads were kind of poor, his positioning wasn't great, 
and he was always late to stuff that, in previous years, he was very comfortable handling. I know that playing without Jacob Truba, who was his predominant partner for much of his uh, past couple of seasons, probably threw a monkey wrench into things, but even still, it's a little bit disheartening to see him take such a step back after he just signed like a seven or eight year deal. If he doesn't recover next season, Winnipeg's new contract extension for him is going to look like an anchor really quickly, and that's kind of a shame because I feel like Morrissey has much more to offer. I will say though that I think this season is probably more of an aberration, and once he gets a pairing partner who's really capable of carrying the puck and maintaining control, I think that he's going to look a lot better. While he may be more of like a number two or a number three, I think he's going to be very good, you know, given somebody who can be a really good right-handed or even left-handed off-pairing partner. I don't know that, you know, the Jets are going to have somebody like that immediately available, but for now, Morrissey and DeMello can probably handle things as a temporary top pairing. Neil Pionk was probably the D that surprised me the most because I felt like when he first arrived, I had expectations of him basically being something of a deer in headlights. He's not really much of a defenseman in the sense that his defensive zone awareness is pretty poor, his physical play was not great, his positioning and zone entry denial were both non-existent, so I feel like when he actually started doing things that you'd expect a top four defender to do, I was more than anything surprised. Pionk kind of had a big year for a dude who basically looked like a seventh D at best. He of course scored a crapload of points on the power play, though most of that was probably more from his line mates than his own individual production, but even still he's got a pretty decent shot, and his offensive zone instincts are usually decent. Where that kind of tends to fall apart is when he has to pass to guys like Line. For some reason, Pionk is just very bad at any kind of pass to the left side. It's always very slow, and it moves at the pace of a snail, so not really a power play quarterback, I would say, but he's the only guy that the Jets really seem to trust in that role, so I guess we're stuck with that for the time being. I think that if the Jets want to extend him after his you know, RFA contract eventually transitions into something else... I think that uh, Pionk is somebody I don't mind keeping around. I thought about trading him, but if the Jets want to instead re-sign him, I'm not against it. I just think that they need to be careful because his point totals are pretty high, and points always tends to lead to higher dollar signs, and I don't think that his defensive value is particularly great even still. On guys, I definitely wouldn't mind back on a value deal, and Dmitry Kulikov, of all people, has definitely earned that distinction. Um, he's always been something of a train wreck after his recent injuries, but I feel like Kulikov this year was actually pretty okay. Over the past couple of weeks, even month or two, he's been very solid, if not great at times. He seemed to have very good reads. I feel like his gapping was, for the most part, very good. He still has like brain farts every once in a while where he makes this really bad pass, or he just doesn't seem to recognize where the danger is coming from, but, you know... Overall, and given the role that he had to play on the second pairing, I think that Kulikov acquitted himself very nicely. On a two- or three-year deal at, say, like $2 million, I think that I would be very okay with that. That's the kind of contract that I think you'd get a ton of value out of. Guys, I would jettison, and you're probably not going to be surprised, but those include dudes like Lucas Abisa, Anthony Batetto, Gabriel Bork, and a few others. You know, obviously Bork and, and Shaw are forwards, but these are all kind of a crop of players who I feel like were warm bodies for the Jets and not much more. Lucas Abiso was particularly bad. Potato was not a whole lot better. Bork and Shaw were both pretty bad. So, unfortunately, the Jets had a lot of dead weight playing on their bottom lines and bottom pairings. Sometimes Abiso even had to play in the top four, which was very scary for me. Uh, I think very scary for most people, too, especially because they also play on the PK. 
bit of a double whammy. Now, as far as any other players are concerned, I think the one guy that we can all agree was Winnipeg's unequivocal MVP of the season was Connor Hellebuck. That dude put on a clinic, and I don't think I need to really say a whole lot more because without him, the Jets would not have had a shot at the playoffs. And if a postseason does occur and Winnipeg is still somehow ranked in the seedings, I think that Hellebuck pretty much deserves whatever trophy you want to give him. He deserves some heart consideration. He's definitely my presumptive Vezina winner. I think that Hellebuck was fantastic, and he really carried this team on his back. His backup partner, Bressois, there's not a whole lot to say there other than that Bressois was definitely a lot less good this season, and that's kind of a shame because I feel like uh, I thought that Winnipeg had finally found its number two, at least for the time being, and it seems like Bressois took a noticeable step back and was more like Edmonton Oilers' Bressois. So it goes. I feel like backups are a dime a dozen in most leagues, and you know the Jets are, are certainly flush with some goaltending prospects who could reasonably take that position in a season or two. Mikhail Berdin is definitely pushing on that door pretty soon, so I'm not too worried about that. That covers most of my players to evaluate, I suppose. There are a few guys that I skipped over because I've talked about them at length, and I think most folks don't really want to hear about bottom sixers because those guys, in a lot of respects, are, are a dime a dozen. Not for Winnipeg so much because we have guys like Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry and Matthew Perot, and even Nick Shore I thought was very good this season, but... Uh, you probably know my opinion from some of the other podcasts. And if you haven't heard any of those, be sure to check them out because I've recapped in detail how some of these guys have played pivotal roles in various games this season. I thank you guys so much for listening. After the conclusion of the show, be sure to check out the NHL National Show right after this. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. Go Jets go.